0: Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tokajer of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshachinu, Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avruchamim, Father of Mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, we thank you for this Shabbat that you have given us as an opportunity to receive from you, to be touched by you, to experience your presence and your shalom, your peace, Father. Uh, I pray that as we open up your word today, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it will be your word heard and received and your heart felt, Father, that you will directly minister to each and every one of us today. Use me as a vessel for your purposes, for your will, Lord, and let nothing of me be involved except that which you have ordained for this purpose. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says... On and on All right. So this week we're in Parsha Bereshit, which is the very beginning of the Torah. We have now uh, this past week it's Simchat Torah. Rolled the Torah scroll from Devarim all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to Bereshit. And Bereshit literally means in the beginning. So we are now there. We are at the beginning of how everything began, and we're digging into it. Uh, and so as we dive into this, I want to give a mild caveat at the reality that some of what you're going to hear me talk about today, uh, you could have cheated on and listened to the podcasts from the Ruach Encounter study that we did uh, a year or two ago uh, in our Tuesday night Bible study where we looked at the Holy Spirit from creation through today. Uh, the, only some of it is, is going to be part of what you heard there, uh, and we're going to expound upon it from there. But last, uh, I guess it was actually a Simchat Torah, uh, when we had our Simchat Torah celebration earlier this week, uh, the Lord put just a random word on my heart uh, for passage to um, and I'll be perfectly honest with you, uh, you know, I like to just let God do His thing. I have no clue how it really <laughs> connects to the Parsha, uh, but, uh, but He's put a word on my heart beyond that that goes with it that, uh, that I believe is important, but that word is Unapologetic. <laughs> Um, and I almost started this message out talking to our Facebook Live audience to apologize for us being a little later getting to the message than normal. And then I thought about, I can't say we're going to be unapologetic if I'm going to apologize. That doesn't quite work. So for all of those watching on Facebook Live, oh well. Um, but no, uh, we've had a phenomenal service today. Uh, it's, it's always amazing to, to watch the, the Spirit of God move in our midst. And, and if we're honest about it, that's what we're here for, right? We are here to encounter God right? And if we don't allow God to move in a mighty and powerful way in our midst, then we're here for the wrong reason. And when he wants to move, we just get out of his way and let him do what he wants to do. So if you have your scriptures, go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. That's right. We're not starting with verse 1. We're jumping to verse 26. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. Everybody there? Then God said, let us make man in our image, After our likeness, let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the flying creatures of the sky, over the livestock, over the whole earth, and over every crawling creature that crawls on the land. God created humankind in His image. In the image of God, He created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the land and conquer it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the flying creatures of the sky, and over every animal that crawls on the land. Verse 31, so God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. So there there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. All right, so as we look through creation, we recognize that the scripture talks about seven days of creation, and typically speaking, within each of those days, at the end of his work of creating on that particular day, he says, he looked at his creation, he said it was good, and that was the evening and morning that day, except for two days where the wording is a little different. The first day, he doesn't say it was good. You ever notice that? The first day is the only day he doesn't say he looked at his creation, saw it was good, it was evening and morning the first day. Instead he just says it was evening and morning and first day. And I believe the reason why is because when he created, uh, began creation itself that first day, we see the 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 um, the lights being spoken of. He says he speaks light into existence. And we recognize in John 1 that it talks about Yeshua being that light. As a matter of fact, rabbinic thought has always said that the light of creation is the light of Messiah. So we absolutely recognize the light of Messiah at the foundations of creation. But it also says in the Hebrew that there was tovu vavohu. It was chaos and darkness, or chaos and, and uh, you know, everything. whack. And uh, I don't believe that that means God created chaos, But instead, that in the midst of God's creating, chaos happened. Chaos began. I don't believe it was God that caused the chaos, and I don't believe it was his will for chaos to exist, but I do believe in perfect faith that God was fully aware chaos was going to happen. And I believe that that chaos is why the first day wasn't declared good as all the other days are the second is on the sixth day when he creates animals and mankind he says he looked at all of his work after creating humankind which he created in his image and likeness says he looked at all of his work and this time he says it was tov me'od it was very good the other five days leading up to this uh, or four days sorry leading up to this he says it was good day six he says it was very good it was tov me'od it was very good So when he creates man in his image and likeness, he says that his creation then was very good. And he's speaking of you, and he's speaking of me. And he's saying that that which he created in his image and likeness, that which he placed his uh, nishmat, uh, his his nishmat chayim, his his, uh, breath of life into, was very good, was perfect, was exactly how he intended. Now why did all this chaos enter into the scene? If you jump to Isaiah chapter 14, Isaiah chapter 14, beginning with verse 12, it says, How you have fallen from heaven, O bright star, son of the dawn. How you are cut down to the earth, you who made the nations prostrate. If you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit upon the Mount of Meeting in the uttermost parts of the north. I will ascend above the high places of the clouds, I will make myself Elyon, yet you will be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest parts of the pit. Here we read about the description of what exactly the enemy, HaSatan, uh, did that caused him to be killed. And it says that the reason he did was because he wanted to exalt his throne above God. In other words, he thought he could become God. He thought he could become like God. He thought he could become greater than God. And instead of becoming greater than God, uh, he was smacked down. And all of a sudden, everything he wanted was taken away. Everything he had was ripped away. And now God then begins creation. And on day six, he creates this thing called mankind. And he says, let us create mankind in our image and likeness. And he goes, no. No, I'm not okay with that. I couldn't be like you. Why can they be like you? If I can't have that, nobody can have it. And so here we are in Genesis. The chaos and, and uh, void begins. The chaos and, and everything starts to occur with Gen- with uh, the, the first day. And I believe that chaos was the enemy's starting to mess things up and muck things up. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, continuing the discussion of mankind. He says, Then Adonai formed the man out of the dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils a breath of life. And the words there, are the, the phrase is nishmat chayim. Anybody recognize the word nishmat? It comes from neshama, uh, or neshama. Uh, I don't know why my brain went to the lazy American pronunciation, but neshama. Uh, and, and neshama is where we talk about The soul. Neshema is the eternal part of who we are. It's the soul of our being. And so the Lord breathed the breath of life, which is the soul, into us, that eternal part of our existence. Our bodies are temporal. Our bodies will decay and die away, but our soul lives on forever, whether that be in the presence of the Lord or separated from. He goes on. So the man became a living being. When he became a living being, when that piece of the eternal went into us, we became alive. Then Adonai Elohim planted a garden in the east, east. and there he put the man whom he formed. Uh, Verse 15, then Adonai Elohim took the man and gave him rest in the garden of Eden in order to cultivate and watch over it. Then Adonai commanded the man, saying, from all the trees of the garden you are most welcome to eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you must not eat, for when you eat from it you will most assuredly die. And now all of a sudden the enemy comes up with an idea right? Here is mankind. Here is Adam the Chava. This is Adam and Eve that God created in his image and likeness. That God has given exactly what the enemy wanted for himself. God has now given to his creation. He is now given to you and I. And so here the enemy goes, you know what? Now's my chance. Now I can mess it all up. If I can't have what I wanted, if I can't have being like God, nobody else can either. And he comes onto the scene, and we begin with verse 25. Genesis chapter 2 is the beginning of the narrative. It says, now both of them were naked, speaking of Adam and Eve, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Does that mean heaven, which is a return to Eden, is going to be a nudist colony? It's, it's a little weird, but nonetheless, uh, he says that they were naked and they weren't ashamed. In other words, they were naked and they had no clue that they were naked. Why? Because it didn't matter. It didn't make a difference at all. Right, they were in the presence of God. God was well aware of how He created them. It didn't matter at all, and so He says they were unashamed. Verse one of chapter three, the serpent was shrewder than any animal of the field that Adonai Elohim made. So it said to the woman, "Did God really say you must not eat from all the trees of the garden?" Now He's twisting the words a little bit, right? Does the same thing Yeshua in in, in Matthew and Luke in Matthew three, Luke three does the same thing. Takes Scripture. And he contorts it just enough, right? It's perfectly fine. He knows Scripture. He knows the Word of God, but he contorts it just enough that if, if you're really not familiar with it, if you're really not rooted in the Word of God, you're easily distra- uh, easily led astray. Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, no, no, he didn't say that. Of the fruit of the trees we may eat, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat of it and you must not touch it or you will die. Verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you must most assuredly won't die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. We were created in his image and likeness. How much more like God can we possibly become? We can't become God. We should learn that from the enemy. We can't become God, but we were created in his image and likeness. How much more like God? we possibly become not only that but God said we were good God said we were very good what did we have a need for knowing evil God only wanted us to know good the enemy says you will be like God knowing good and evil God doesn't want us to know evil he only wants us to know good because only good comes from him evil doesn't come from the Lord evil comes from the enemy. And so here we recognize that uh, as the enemy is tempting uh, Chava and ultimately Adam, as he's tempting uh, Eve and Adam, that he is merely projecting his own issues, his own psychological turmoil upon Adam and Eve, upon mankind. And he goes, hey, if I can't be like God, guess what you can't be? And I'm going to make sure of it. I'm going to make sure of it by messing with God's word just enough that it sounds like it may be true. But maybe it's not. He goes, did he really say you would die? And what he meant by that was, did he say you'd drop dead right here? No, he didn't really say that. He didn't really say I'd drop dead right here. He did say you'll surely die, right? So eventually, you will die if you eat of this fruit. All of a sudden, Eve's thinking, well, maybe we won't die. Maybe if I eat of this fruit, not only will I not die, like this serpent's saying, but maybe I'll also be like God. All of a sudden, Eve begins to believe the lie. This lie is being spoken over one of the, the 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 created beings that carries the breath of God that carries a bit of the eternal within us all of a sudden the, the Lord's creation which was created perfect which the Lord said was told no was very good is beginning to be tainted by temptation by sin and ultimately by the knowledge of evil and see, what's really interesting as we look through the rest of the Word of God is that we realize the Word of God is a, 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 a map, if you would, of the, of the history of humanity, a map of the history of creation. And it begins with the fall of humanity, actually it begins with creation itself, but for the sake of this discussion, this map begins with the fall of man. And it ends with the restoration of man. And everything that occurs in between is for the purpose of getting us to the restoration getting us back to that place we where we are in the image and likeness of the Lord. Because we've allowed ourselves to be tainted, to be destroyed, to be brought down. We've allowed ourselves to no longer be able to be in the presence of God. Notice in Genesis, God created us to be in his presence. So when the Lord appeared to Adam and Eve in the middle of the day to, to walk with in the garden, I believe this wasn't the first time that this happened. If it was, they wouldn't have been so in a hurry to go and get some clothes on when they realized they were naked. They wouldn't have been in such a hurry to be ashamed of how God created them to be. They were aware that it was the time in which the Lord would come and walk with them in the garden. And so as this time began to come about, they rushed to clean themselves up a bit, to throw a little clothing on, to figure something out, to cover themselves up, because now they realized they were in the wrong But I like to picture that the Lord came to walk with them like a father walks with his child. And I think about me with my kids with a hand in each of mine as we're walking down the parking lot or in the park, wherever it may be. And this intimate connection, this intimacy that's going on between me and my children. And I believe this is why the Lord would come in the middle of the day to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden was for that intimacy with his children, with his creation we were created to be in his presence and then we chose sin well god's presence can't dwell in the midst of sin so what then occurs we get kicked out of his presence we get kicked out of the garden but don't worry god's not done yet in order to get us to that place of restoration then what he does is he goes look you jack things up pretty good i'll give you that it's not a surprise i saw it coming i knew it was going to happen But I was really hoping that you were going to be better than this, but I knew you weren't. So I had a plan in place. As a matter of fact, before creation ever began, the plan of salvation was the reality. And that's why the light of Messiah was a light through which all was created, because he was the plan for restoration. And so as we look at this, the Lord says, Look, you can't be in my presence, but that doesn't mean I can't be in yours. So the Lord gives us the tabernacle. And in the tabernacle is the Aron uh, uh, Habrit, the Ark of the Covenant. And upon the Ark of the Covenant is his presence. Now, there's got to be barriers between his presence and the sin of humanity, the shame of humanity. And because of this presence between the, uh, his presence in the midst of Israel, there has to be this barrier between us that keeps us from experiencing it. But at least his presence is with us. And he goes, But don't worry, I'm done there. I don't know why God sounds like a. Uh, uh, a uh, uh, Home Shopping Network, the thing, but he says, don't worry, I'm not done yet. There's more. And he goes, now, not only is my presence in your midst, but but I'm going to put my presence inside of you. I am going to place my presence in your heart. When we call out upon the name of Messiah and we accept his and we recognize that we are sinners, and the only way we can be restored to our Father in heaven is through the blood of His only begotten Son. He places His presence within us. We become the tabernacle, the mishkan, the temporary dwelling place for His presence. So now, not only have we been kicked out of His presence, but He's placed His presence in our midst, in the midst of our community. Now He's gone a step further and bringing us that much closer to restoration. He has now placed His presence physically, literally within us as followers of Messiah, much closer to being restored to what we were created to be in the first place. And as he places his presence, his Ruach HaKodesh, his Holy Spirit within us, he does so for the distinct purpose of restoring us to his image and likeness, so that the world around us may know who he is by seeing him in us. And because now his word isn't just something we look at, something we adhere, on the external, but instead something that is very much an active part of our internal being, our very flesh itself, as Jeremiah 31 says, we're not just going, well, I don't, I don't know, maybe that's not what he said. Maybe he said it a little more like this. Maybe he said, we now have the ability to overcome the temptation of the enemy. We now have the ability to be interactive in the presence of God again. Acts chapter 2, one of the greatest realities of the Word of God, in my opinion, Acts chapter 2 is a prophetic fulfillment of what the events of Exodus 19 and 20 are. On Shavuot, when the presence of God was revealed to Israel and the Aseret brought the ten words, the ten commandments were spoken to the nation. Acts chapter 2, on Shavuot, yet again the Spirit of God falls upon the followers of Messiah, upon the disciples and everybody that sees it is amazed at what they're experiencing. As a matter of fact, uh, verse 13 of chapter 2 says, they started poking fun at them and they were saying, they are full of sweet new wine. They must be drunk. There's no other explanation for the shenanigans that are currently going on before us. No the disciples were at the temple celebrating Shavuot as they were commanded to do and this was a divine revelation occurring verse 14 but Peter standing with the 11 raised his voice and addressed them Fellow Judeans and all who are staying in Jerusalem let this be known to you and pay attention to my words these men are not drunk as you suppose for it's only on the third day Notice he doesn't apologize Notice Peter isn't ashamed of what's going on. Notice Peter isn't afraid of an angry mob. Instead the spirit of God, the presence of God is upon him. Nimar chaim has been restored and renewed. in the presence power of God and he is not afraid to speak the reality of the truth of God. In spite of what the enemy is trying to contort the reality through others to be, he stands up boldly. It says but this is verse 16 but this is what was spoken about through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, says God. That I will pour out my ruach, my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my slaves, male and female, I will pour out my ruach, my spirit in those days. And they, all sh- and they shall prophesy. And I will give wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth beneath. Blood and fire and smoke and vapor, smoky vapor. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the great and, terrible, great and glorious day of Adonai comes. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of Adonai shall be saved. Verse 37. Now, through the rest of this passage, he continues to preach, but notice he doesn't just start to tell them what's going on then. He begins back in the Tanakh. And he begins to reveal to them what the Lord has already said is going to happen, which is now being revealed in a literal sense right before their eyes. Verse 37. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, the crowd that was here that was first accusing them of being drunk, says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the emissaries, fellow brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and let each of you be immersed in the name of Messiah Yeshua for the removal of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Ruach HaKodesh of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far away. As many as Adonai, our God, calls to himself. With many other words, he warned them and kept urging them, saying, Save yourselves from this twisted generation. Verse 41. So those who received his message were immersed, and that day about 3,000 souls were added. And one day, because of one speech, mostly because of the power and the presence of God in their midst. Three thousand Jewish people came to faith, and the promised Jewish Messiah Yeshua Mashiach, and were empowered with the Ruach Hakodesh, with the Holy Spirit. And here's the beauty about the Holy Spirit: the Ruach Hakodesh isn't anything new. It's not like all of a sudden Messiah ascended to heaven. And the Lord went, Ah, oh, jeez, totally forgot. What am I gonna do? Uh, oh, I got it. Let's just send, you know, this ghost down to hang out with him for a while. That'll, that'll make up for it. God is eternally Father, Son, and Spirit. This wasn't some new concept. Hence the reason why in Genesis, anytime we see the Lord speaking to humanity or to the angels, he speaks in the plural. Anytime we see, or I'm sorry, anytime he's speaking to the angels or to himself, he speaks in the plural. Anytime he speaks to mankind, he speaks in the singular. Let us create... Man in our image and likeness. And whose image and likeness? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. God reveals himself in, in at least three ways. Biblically, there are ways that he reveals himself as well. But one God who interacts with us in different ways, who speaks to us in different ways. He doesn't change. He doesn't stop being become the other. He didn't vacate the throne in heaven in order to walk as human, uh, in human form on earth uh, or anything like that. Colossians 1.15 says that Yeshua is the visible image of the invisible God, speaking of the Ruach and the Father, that we can't see physically, but we can see the person of Yeshua, which is the form. And oddly enough, we're created in his image and likeness. Guess what? We have a physical bodily form. We also have a divine nature in our spirit and our soul, an eternal aspect in our soul, like the Father and our spirit, which is connected with Ruach HaKodesh. And we have a physical body. So our physical body is the visible image of the otherwise invisible David which most people wish would be more than invisible. But that's a whole other story. But what we realize here is that the Lord is recreating us and his image and likeness as he originally created us to be. Not because he messed up, because God doesn't mess up, but because we messed up by believing the lies of the enemy. By believing that we could become more than what God created us to be and God already created us to be like him. Created us to be in His image and likeness. And so because we allow sin into our lives, we're separated from His presence. He then places His presence among us anyways. And He places His presence within us by the blood of the Lamb. And then He reinvigorates our nishmat chayim, our breath of, our, uh, breath of life. He reinvigorates it by the indwelling of His Ruach HaKodesh, His Holy Spirit. Which then empowers us to be used by Him as a vessel of His purposes. Whether that be to break the chains and bondage in others' lives or to see healing in people or to lead people to salvation or to simply do work of kindness, helping people their house or change a tire or whatever it may be. He empower, empowers us through His Ruach to do these things because fallen nature doesn't do nice things for other people without a reason. Being real. Invigorated in the in the soul the breath of God being reinvigorated by his Ruach HaKodesh now we do nice things for other people because we are in the image and likeness of God we have been restored to what we are created to be and it's still a perfecting process it's still a restoring process until eternity comes we're still going to be fallen Which means that even more so now than ever before, because of the blood atonement of Messiah and the presence of His Ruach, we need to be on our faces daily before Him. Because how else are we going to stay true to His image and likeness? You know, in the Haftorah this week, and as I said, the Lord gave me a word on uh, Simchat Torah for today's message, and that word was unapologetic, and the thing I love about looking through the scriptures of the different individuals and characters that the Lord used is that they're unapologetic. When the Lord moves through them, they don't apologize for it. You know, we we have this natural instinct when something, you know, for instance, today our service, the, the worship went, went longer than normal, but, you know, it was, it was exactly where we needed to be. It was exactly what we needed to be doing. It was exactly how we needed to be moving because the Lord's presence was here and was us in that direction and, and as humans, we have this natural inclination by fallen man to go, yeah, you know, I'm kind of sorry that, that this has taken longer and we're not where we normally would be at this point, da-da-da-da-da, but the Lord says, no, He says, don't apologize for what I'm doing because I'm not sorry for it. Don't apologize for what I'm doing. You know, we go to the Haftorah Parsha, which begins with Isaiah 42 verse 5. Isaiah 42, verse 5, and it speaks specifically to what Messiah came to do in the first place. Thus says God, Adonai, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and ruach, spirit to those who walk in it. I, Adonai, called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. Going back to creation before Adam and Eve fell and were kicked out of the garden, walking hand in hand with their Abba, with their Heavenly Father, with their Daddy. I will take you, I will keep you and give you, I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations by opening blind eyes, bringing prisoners out of the dungeon and those sitting in the darkness out of the prison house. He has brought you to freedom broken the chains of the enemy's grip in your life so that he can use you to do that for others. So when the Spirit of God moves in a mighty and powerful way, we have nothing to apologize for. And here's a wake-up call. We live in a day and age where revival is more necessary now than ever before. And I don't mean let's throw a tent up in the back for a week and call it a revival and hope we get a big crowd to show up. There's only ever been one revival. It began in Acts two, and either you're in it or you're not. It's never ended. We, the body of Messiah, have sure as heck stepped out of it a few times. We, as individuals, have walked out of it a few times. But the revival of God has never ended. It began in Acts two, and it has continued. And at those points in time where we are willing as humans to be humble in the presence of the Lord and to get out of His way, He is able to move in mighty and powerful ways through us. But when we continue to allow the fallen nature of who we are still on this earth to get in the way, is when we begin to apologize for what God wants to do through us. Because the freedom that you now know by the blood of the Lamb is a freedom He wants you to bring to the world around us. still bound in the darkness of this world who is still trapped by the enemy's grip by the disdain that HaSaitan has for you and I because we were created in the image and likeness of God that he could only have dreamed of being and he has done everything he could since the foundations of creation to demolish your relationship with the Lord your walk with him and the Lord has been one step ahead of him every single moment time. We go to John chapter 1 in closing. John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him. And apart from Him, nothing was made that has come into being. In Him was the life. And the life was the life of men. The light shines in darkness. And the darkness has not overpowered it these words are spoken before the gospel of John begins to describe the ministry, the work of ministry of Yeshua. These words are spoken before the gospel author of John is telling us of what Yeshua has done to bring freedom and the light of Messiah into the lost and dark. World. He's beginning by saying this was the plan all along. God doesn't do plan Bs. He doesn't, he doesn't need them. He was fully aware that you and I were going to jack our lives up as bad as we possibly could before he ever breathed the breath of life into us. He was well aware. And unlike any of us, if we were God, he still wasted the time to create us because in his eyes, it wasn't a waste. It was an opportunity to bring us to where he wants us to be. You got to understand, no matter what the enemy wants you to think, you are not a waste. You are not a waste of oxygen. You're not a waste of time. You are not a waste of energy. You are not a waste of love. Most importantly, you are not a waste of the creative works of your heavenly Father who spoke your life into existence for the singular purpose of using you for the glory of his kingdom. For the single purpose of bringing you into his kingdom as a child of God. He goes on verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But whoever did receive him, those trusting in his name to these, he gave the right to become children of God. They were born not of a bloodline, nor of human desire, nor of man's will, but of God. And the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. We looked upon His glory, the glory of the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. And now that grace resides within us as believers in Messiah. Now it's empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, so that we can impact the world around us. We carry that light through which all was created. And no matter what the enemy tries to do to you, through others in your life, if you are faithful in the presence of His light, the darkness will never overcome the light. He created you for His purpose. So when others want to make you fearful, or they want to make you ashamed of who you are, or they want to make you ashamed of what God is doing in you, when others want to beat you, because you raised your hands to praise the Lord when others want to speak against you because the spirit of God moves through you when others want to call you a fraud because the Lord is using you to speak truth into people's lives or any countless other ways that the world around us wants to destroy the work of God in our lives the Lord has one thing for you to understand he's not called you to be apologetic he has called you to be unapologetically present in him. To be unapologetically active in his ruach. To be unapologetically emphatically in love with your heavenly Father. He has called you to be unapologetically a vessel for his might and power in this fallen world. We are called to be light in a dark world. And we don't carry our own light. We carry His. And it's time that we start groveling, groveling in fear. At the feet of the world. Start standing in the power of the presence of the In the place that we have been created. Which is His children of God. And this is the only way. That the world around us will come to know His saving power. Those who are called by his name, bought by his blood, and empowered by his ruach are no longer afraid to be in his presence at all times, every waking moment. You know, when I was in Zimbabwe, it was really awesome to watch people praise God because they didn't care what other people thought. They'd start to sing, they'd start to dance, they were going to town. I had no clue what they were saying, but they knew. And God knew. And they were giving him his all. And I think back to the States and how we just were so reserved. And I don't think that the Lord wants us to be reserved in his presence. I don't think he wants us to be afraid of letting him move. I don't think he wants us to be afraid of what people are going to think. And I definitely don't think he wants us to apologize for what he's doing through us and in us. Because how can we apologize for the work of a perfect God who loves His perfect creation even though we've allowed ourselves to become imperfect? See, we serve a perfect God who loves the imperfect so that He can restore us to perfection. And it's not our perfection, it's His. And this is what we were created to be. And so when we look at Parsha Bereshit every year, we get this opportunity to circle back around again And to be reminded of who we are. Not who the enemy wants us to think we are, but who we are. We are the image and likeness of God. Listen, I don't care what anybody says to you or about you. If you are listening to these words right now, open your ears and hear. You are created in the image and likeness of God. I don't care where you are or how far away from the Lord you have walked. You are created in his image and likeness and he doesn't make mistakes. Right, amen. Do not let the enemy's lies of who he wants you to be, which is simply destroyed and fallen like him, ruin what the Lord has spoken over you, through you, and in you. The Lord loves you. And he wants you to be unapologetically with him unapologetically empowered by him and unapologetically used by him for his purposes it's time that we give him that opportunity that freedom in our lives it's time that we allow him to break those chains of fear of shame of worry of doubt so that we can walk freely in the reality of the truth of his promises which go way beyond anything we could ever imagine Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you. Father, I thank you for your word, which is a living entity. That, Lord, even though we read these parashot over and over and over again over the course of our lives, that every single year that we pull back around to Bereshit, to Noah, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that you reveal something new to us. Not that it's new to you, but, Lord, you open our eyes and our hearts up to the greater truth of your reality. Father, I thank you that your word is a living entity. Very much so as John tells us, the word tabernacled amongst us. Father, not only does your word tabernacle among us, but your word is now alive within us. The resurrected Messiah is a part of who we are. And Father, I pray that you give us the power through your Ruach HaKodesh to walk in shalom and peace and our identity in you, not in the identity the world wants us to have, but our identity that can only be found in you, that we may be used by you to see revival. Father, not be birthed, but be revived in our midst. Father, I thank you that your Ruach is ever-breathing, And I ask you to continue to move powerfully and mightily in our midst. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen.